Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and today on this special episode, this is a very special episode because this is the first time that I will ever be having a conversation like this, and I think it is be the beginning of, of probably many more. So uh, in this episode, I'm going to interview an anonymous person. This person is completely anonymous. You won't know who they are, their identity, their name, but they are a client of mine. And in this episode... Um, this individual and I are going to unpack his past. And so uh, he's going to share stories from his past. He's going to share his family system and uh, share a little bit of insight into what it was like to grow up in his family dynamic. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that came out of that space. So uh, he grew up in a very volatile, abusive home where uh, abuse was not only present um, for him, but for the other members in his family. Um, addiction was present and um, a, a lot of different things. So you might hear parts of yourself or someone that you know their story in his story. Uh, and and you might see parts of your upbringing while the circumstances might be different in his story. And the whole point of this episode is that he, I, I'm going to ask him questions that sort of walk him through parts of his journey and and how they shaped his life, how abuse as a young boy shaped his life, how um, the sexual abuse at some point shaped his life. And we're going to talk about how those things not only impacted him, but drove him to create what he's built because he's a very successful entrepreneur in the world. Uh, he's got an incredible business um, that is very, very successful. And we're going to talk about how that that part was shaped, but we're also going to look at some very sort of prescriptive anecdotal pieces. So one of the questions, one of the main questions that a lot of people asked when I said, hey, I'm going to be interviewing one of my clients on the podcast and talking about his childhood. Um, one of the biggest questions that most people had was how did he uh, start working through trauma? And what were some steps that he took to repair the relationship with his father and his mother and his uh, siblings? So in this episode, we're actually going to talk about some of the things that that uh, he has worked through individually, uh, either with past therapists or counselors or coaches, and some of the actions that he's taken to rectify some of those things. And we're going to discuss some of the things that him and I have embarked on, some of the uh, components that he's worked through in our sessions uh, and in the Man Talks group. So this is a, a pretty real and and raw sort of retelling of someone's story. So I hope that you take a chance to listen to the entire thing. Don't forget to share it with just one person. You know, I think the stories that are in this episode and the very real life stories that are in this episode can really help serve a lot of people, uh, especially men that have grown up in abusive environments or environments with addiction or abandonment, uh, or even if they had the perfect household growing up um, and there was something missing. Uh, this, there's always something to learn. There's always something to learn. So I hope that you share this episode with one person. And uh, guys, don't forget to join the conversation in the Man Talks community. Some great conversations. Um, some of them like this in the, in the Man Talks community. Um, but uh, yeah, and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe on whatever platform that you listen to so that you never miss an episode. And without further delay, I am going to bring on my anonymous clients. So let's welcome, uh, let's welcome our guest for today. Yeah, thanks so much, Connor. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, it's going to be really good. So... Um, this was actually, this idea was born out of me working with a lot of men and realizing that a lot of guys 
have stuff in their past that maybe they haven't talked about and that it could be very liberating and, and useful uh, to have these dialogues publicly. And you and I have been working together now for quite some time and over a year, over a year. And I think that it's uh it's a, I mean, just watching your growth and your development has been really incredible. And so I'm excited to have this conversation today because I think that your journey, your life uh, will, will really, and your story will really serve a lot of people. So on that note, let's, uh, well, actually just before that, just to give the listeners some context. So um, we're going to be sharing this anonymous journey and it's going to be all about his uh, story and his past. Um, we're going to go into childhood traumas. We're going to talk about family dynamics. We're going to talk about uh, entrepreneurship, business building, uh, you know, breakups, heartbreak, the the whole the whole gamut. Like we're literally going to talk about everything. I'd like to bring sex into the into this conversation as well, and relationships to sex. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about sex and relationships to sex. Uh, so there's going to be some big pieces in here. So let's let's just dive straight in. So I'm going to start with the regular, the, the sacred question, the beginning question, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, Connor. Um, I love that question. And I, I always look forward to it on every one of your podcasts and I, I everybody else has all been, there's so many defining moments in my life, right? There, there really is. But I think one that pertains to this podcast the most is what kind of set me off on this journey of self-development and kind of looking deeper into my own stories and my own beliefs and what I've been bought into my whole life. I've been involved with the Man Talks community for about two years now. And I, uh, I went to see one of the talks and it was about resiliency. And I, I listened to the stories and they were great. You had Dove Baron there and such an inspirational speaker. I mean, I was totally motivated by the guy. And, and I really thought that I, I have a pretty resilient story that I could share with people that people could find a lot of strength in. So I get on my high horse and I'm like, I think, I, I don't know if you remember this, my Connor, I want to talk at one of your, one of your events, you know, thinking that, that I could do this because I, I love public speaking. I really get off on it. I love the energy behind it. So I dive into it. I start writing this, this big, long hero speech of my life journey of what I went, how I came to be and the things that I've accomplished. And I'm, pr I'm proud of them, you know, so I always want to get better at public speaking. And I've always heard that if you practice your public speaking in the mirror, you know, you get a little bit better. So was, I've never really done that before. I've always winged it. And that's just the way I've been. And it's been good, but I want to, I want to improve. So I started uh, speaking my, my life story out loud. And about two minutes into a 15-minute speech that I had planned out, I got to my family dynamics. And speaking those words out loud about what I went through as a child broke me. And this was a year and a half ago. I could not recover from it from the rest of the day. I was sobbing like a baby for four hours, I think. And I could not go back to work. And I just reliving what I actually went through. I think it was the first time I've ever acknowledged that I had a very hard life. I always kind of poked fun at it or, or avoided it or just said, yeah, my life sucked. And my, my wife always was like, man, you should, probably look into that a little bit more, you know, but she never really pushed me too hard. So I think that's, uh, that's where I started to get really curious about how that story was driving me and what was showing up today. Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? Because we all have these, these moments in our life where we, we reflect back, right? I think Steve Jobs says you can only connect the dots backwards. And so we start to look backwards and we start to look at the things that have happened in our past 
And sometimes we paint it with a very like perfect paintbrush, right? We're like, oh yeah, everything was great. And usually when we say like, oh yeah, everything was great, it's because we're trying to protect someone or something. Um, and, and other times we look back and, and we realize how hard things actually were, you know, whether it was financially because our parents were struggling or there was divorce or, you know, there was trauma and abuse or, uh, you know, all of it. At uh, once. Yeah. yeah. Or, or there's all of those things at once, which is probably, you know, kind of what we're about to get into. So, so let's talk a little bit about your family system, Share, shed some light for the people that are listening into the, the players without using names, but shed some light into the players in your system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might be some emotion here because I mean, it's, I think it's pretty powerful for me and I think that it brings a lot of power into the discussion as well. When you bring vulnerability and, and kind of wear those emotions out um, vulnerably, but I was from a family of uh, me, my brother, my mother and father. Uh, my father was a drug addict. Uh, he was very absent. Um, he was an alcoholic and my mother was an alcoholic. Uh, my mother was away working a lot and my brother raised me for a lot of it. He's six years older than me and he took a lot of care of me and he was very physically abusive. And, you know, it was just, we were a small family and, and living in the outskirts of the middle of nowhere. And my grandparents lived close by and it was, it was heavily, it was, a, it was a family of shame. It was just generations of shame being passed on from one to another. When, when you say that your, that your brother was abusive, can you give some context to that? Because I think, you know, there's, and there's a very like mainstream dialogue right now that's happening. And I think we've seen it in some of the commercials, like the Chillback commercial that just came out recently. It seems to have Unreal, by the caused way. a lot of controversy. <laughs> but, you know, we see a lot of, of this mentality of boys will be boys and that, you know, Brothers usually grow up fighting a little bit. You know, there there's a lot of conflict. So tell tell me a little bit more about like how you classified and how you started to know that there was abuse from him. From the oh, okay, so you have the you have the the big the big abuse, the the, the overt abuse, the 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 physical abuse, the locking me outside when it's minus twenty outside and six inches of snow on the ground and laughing his head off when I'm crying to get back inside because I don't have socks on and and holding me down and flashing a camera in my eyes for an hour straight until I can't see, yeah. you know, that's, that's the big stuff. But then, then what I'm, what I'm really bringing to light recently is the, the underlying, underlying abuse where manipulation is brought in and, and he would abuse me physically, but then he would protect me from everything else. Yeah. And there's this form of manipulation there from one, that's just from my brother, but there's also that coming in from my mother and father yeah, it's like a, it's almost like the the Stockholm syndrome, right? Like you have the your your captors or your abusers that that sort of take take you captive, and they protect you from a lot of the outside harm and outside drama, but they're also the ones that are harming you, right? And so that's a you know that's something that that we'll dig into more as we go on. So t tell me a little bit more about what maybe around what age you were when you started to realize that maybe your family dynamic was a little unhealthy and like what that environment was like. Uh, when I was 30. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Can you expand on, on that and, and why it hit you when you were 30? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that it came up when I was like 28 or 29 and I, I, I saw a picture of me when I was a kid and this has kind of set me off on this thing where I was like, whoa, what the hell did I grow up in? But it was a picture of me in my room that I grew up in and the walls were bare 
and there's exposed electrical sockets and the floor is plywood. And it's like, holy shit. Like you don't really, you, you know, you make the best of all the situations and you, you grew up in what you know. And as a kid, you do, you have these blinders on and you don't know what's right and wrong and what's, you know, you, you just do the best you can. And I never looked at that picture for you know, 25 years. And when I saw it, it was, is a pretty hard hit to the heart realizing that I did grow up poor and my family was really messed up. Yeah. So, so tell me, let's just, let's just talk about the players in your family system. So describe your brother to me uh, and the listeners a little bit more in depth. He, it's, it's so deep. He's, he's he's a beautiful human being today. I I love him. And uh, you know, we've come a long way in healing, but he, we, when my parents got divorced, he had a choice to go live with my father, who was not the strongest role model of a father. And I had, the, and I chose to live with my mother because she kept me safe from my father, who I was absolutely terrified of. I mean, I don't have good memories of my father. I do have maybe one or two, but they're all pretty traumatic, scary experiences with him. So um, my brother went to live with my father and he grew up in group homes and he was in group homes. He was out of group homes. He was living with my dad. He came to live with us. He was a, he was a hard kid to handle, but there was, there was no acknowledgement of emotions in our household. There was no being safe to express emotions. So it was all super reactive. Everything was emotionally driven. Everything was heated. And it was, it was, it was really hard to, to be safe as a kid. What, what role did you see your brother trying to, trying to play in, in your life and then, and then in the lives of your parents? Yeah. It's a pretty deep question. I'm going to try to answer that the best I can. Um, I think that the role they tried to play in my life was this, like you said, Stockholm syndrome protector abuser, because he would take me and and, and do inappropriate things. And then um, he would protect me from, from like my parents and he would protect me from their craziness. But then, yeah. So, so I think that that would be the, the most accurate way that I can explain it right now. Did you, and did you have a sense, like a conscious sense that he, was struggling at some point, like even in your teenage years that he was unhappy? No, no, I, I, I didn't. I, again, it took me 30 years to kind of be like, whoa, we are all hurting. And it's, you've seen me come through those, some of those breakthroughs yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, your, your mother. Let, tell, tell the listeners just a little bit about her character, what she's like, and, and maybe just give some context into what she was like when you were growing up. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was definitely a very emotional woman, very loving. Um, she was always there for me. Uh, you know, you never, you never want to speak publicly it, it, like badly of your mother, but I think there's, there's going to be a lot of power here. And, and you know, the person she is today is not the person she was 30 years ago. And, uh, she was doing the best that she could. She was, uh, she was working a lot. She was away for many days at a time and, it was hard on her, but it's what she knew and it's what she had to do. And, you know, back then it was the the corporate career with a good pension and everything and with the safety. So, you know, I respect that. But with that, uh, she, she also had a lot of, had a lot of uh, shameful behavior and she manipulated as well. And she would do things behind my back and say one thing and do another. And I think that it was just because she wanted to protect me. And, and you know, so, sometimes people believe that if they lie, you're protecting someone when really it's just going to come out tenfold in the future. What were some of the things that looking back you observed or started to realize that your mom was trying to protect you on? Like what were some of the things that she would, 
lie or fabricate or or manipulate in, in terms of situations. Um, she would she would paint my father as this terrible human being because the only memory I have is my father is that he's a terrible person. And that gets me a little emotional right now because that's not a good, I haven't seen my dad in 24 years, 25 years now. And that's the only story I know. And from, from talking to people that's, you know, she would, she would do everything to protect me from him. Um, She would keep me away from him. She would, she wouldn't let me get exposed to him. And then I remember once she did let me get exposed to him and I, and, and my father also extremely manipulative. The last time my interaction with my father, he, you know, he calls my mom, fucking crazy. She's, she's, a, you know, bitch and all this stuff. And then I come back wearing that as a small kid. And then I'm like, mom, you're a bitch. And you know, and it's like, you have this, like these two opposing powers. And as a 12 year old kid, you're pretty influenced very easily. And you buy into ideas pretty goddamn easily. So I went home to her and I got in a fight with her. And she's like, you're never seeing your father again. So it was always, and my father was like, I'll do anything to get away from your crazy bitch mother. So it's like, who the fuck do I believe here? Yeah. Like who do, who's protecting me? Yeah. It's a, it's an immense, it's an immense amount of, of tension, but also suffering as a child, right? Wanting to appease both, the, both the figures, right? The father figure and the mother figure and, and sort of being used as like the tug of war doll between the two. So initially, can you just share a little bit around your experience of, of feeling pulled between the two? What was that experience like? Because I think that that's, that's actually so relatable, right? And and maybe it's not as extreme for some people. Like maybe they maybe their parents were still together, or their parents did get divorced, but they still co-parented. Um, or maybe their parents stayed together for a long time, but there was still this this rift. I think it's very, um, yeah, it's just very very commonplace that people feel pulled between their parents. Yeah, my experience within that was. You know, I would, I would protect my mother as a child because I used to watch my mom get, get the snot beat out of her, like terrible, like I, I would, yeah, the worst kind of beating and seeing that would, I, I wanted to protect her. And I remember one of my first memories as a child was that when I was three years old and the only way I knew how to protect my mother was do everything she wanted me to do. So when she had big emotions, I would take it. I would wear it. I would let her walk all over me emotionally. She would bring them up and she would just, she would, she could emotionally abuse me. She could be pissed off at me and, and take it out on me because of shit that happened at work. And I would be like, yeah, mom, I love you. You know, because that's the only way I knew how to protect her as a kid. I was too small to do anything else. So in terms of that, I became this, this surrogate, surrogate father figure in the house. And I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I think that gives some good context. And I think, you know, we're going to pull this apart a little bit more as, as we go along, but I think right now we're just trying to give context to all the listeners that they can see your story. So let's get to the, let's get to the, the ominous figure (laughs) looming in the background. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your, about your dad. Yeah. So uh, my dad, uh, again, uh, super alpha male, very big, large, big presence, very emotional. He was the alpha in the house and everything had to be his way. Everything was his way or you get punched or you get abused or, you know, he, there was, there was a very one way highway with him and he would never look at other perceptions and, and I don't know, I don't know how into this you want to go. So, I mean, I, like I, if I go too far, just stop me and we'll, we'll bring it back a bit, but it's like, you know, he 
was my teacher about authority. And he, he taught me all of the complete wrong ways, how to deal with authority, how to be authority, how to handle my emotions. There was just so much shit there. And he would abandon us. He would just disappear for two weeks at a time. And I've, I've, you know, I don't know for a fact, but it was because of drug induced, you know, leavings and, and departures. So it was, it was, it was hard to see as a kid. And I remember the stories that I remember of him are him beating my mom, him chasing a bus with a baseball bat, uh, him bad talking, like bad mouthing my mom, trying to get him to buy onto his side. Uh, that's, that's all I have. Yeah. So in, in terms of, you know, I think you talked about authority there and just some of the other pieces around being a man and, and learning about authority and learning how to set rules and give direction, especially within a family dynamic, having become a father in the last three years, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Having become a father in the last three years, what was that experience like when you realized that you were going to have a kid and the memories that you had of your father, because roughly how old were you when, when your father left the last time you saw him? Six. Okay. And I'm terrified for my kid to turn six. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a, that's like a milestone right there. Good, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. All right. So, um, so the, so the memories that you do have of your father are, are fairly volatile and, and we've, you know, we've talked about some of those and we've worked through some of those, but maybe give the listeners some insight into what it was like to approach fatherhood from the lens of, of what you had seen in the past and some of your concerns stepping into that role for yourself. If I get emotional here, it's like, it's hard talking about your kid in such a deep way. Right. I think that it's so much like my kid's about to turn three. And that was based, that was, I can remember my first memories of my father beating my mom around that age. And it's like, I, I get so emotional thinking about the environment that my kid's growing up in right now. And uh, yeah, like me and my wife are, are amazing. We have really good communication and I just never, I never want to see a small child go through that because it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenging space. And it, and it's, a, it's especially challenging when, when we want to give our kids the the things that we maybe didn't have growing up, right? And I think a lot of people that step into parenthood, they they have that desire, right? They actually, it's almost like um, not a not a second chance, right, to relive the childhood. But for many parents, it's stepping into being a parent to almost have a sense of getting it right for themselves, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that uh, you know I was never allowed to have emotions as a kid, and. <laughs> My kid can tell me that he's angry at me and he's two years and eight months, you know, yeah. he can tell me why he can be like, I'm so angry because you took my horsey and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I, it took me 31 years to be able to express an emotion like that. Yeah. So tell, tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about why, why you felt as a child, why you felt as a kid, like you couldn't express your emotions. What, what happened with emotions in your household? They were shamed. Uh, you, you brought emotions into the room and, and even to this date, my mother tells me how I should be feeling. You know, you, you bring emotions and there's no mirroring, there's no validation. And I mean, I think that that is a, a thing that you need to learn on your journey from reading some good literature of like, you need to mirror your, your, your kin's emotions and you need to reflect them and you need to acknowledge them and validate them. And even today I'm like, mom, I'm having a really hard day. 
you shouldn't have a hard day. Look at all these good things. And it's like, I just need you to be like, yeah, that sounds hard. And I'll always remember that time that me and you sat down and we had a little role-playing session after we got off the phone and you did that to me. And it's like my fucking world just blew up around me of, of how to do that. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more around like having the conversation that we had? Yeah. Play? Yeah. yeah. So I was, uh, we were on a man weekend and, uh, and I was on the phone with my wife and she's just, she's losing her mind over something. doesn't matter what it is. She's just, she's like, I can't believe this is happening. Oh my God. I'm like, babe, like, don't worry about it. It's totally cool. This is, this is such a, <laughs> I wish this part was on video, right? Cause like, <laughs> I think, I think everybody can like get the picture in their head of, I think we've all been there, especially as guys or, or maybe women on the other end have, have received it, but we've definitely all been there. It's like, don't even worry about it. Just like completely devaluate, devaluating their, their experience. Totally unaware of this. Again, this is how I always talk to all of my girlfriends, my whole life and people, when people bring like problems that can be worked through, it's just, don't worry about it. We'll fix it. You know, you want to be the fixer. It's all good, like whatever. And then she's like, she's like, you'll never get it. And like hangs up the phone. I'm like, no, she knows I'm gone for the weekend. So whatever. And then Connor's like, he's like, he's like, Hey man, what was that? And then I was just like, ah, my wife, she's just, she's just losing her mind over something stupid. He's like, how'd that go for you? I was like, yeah, pretty terribly. Actually. He's like, come here, let's try something. And he sat down. He's like, he's like, you're going to be Marie or I'm going to be Maria. And I'm going to be you. And I said, okay. So we, we role played that thing. And I, and, and I was like, Connor, this is happening. And he's like, don't worry, man. It's cool. And I'm like, no, like Connor, like, like this is happening. And he's like, he's like, yeah, 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 it's, it's fine. And he did that for, for two minutes or so. And I was like, okay. And he's like, now try that again. And I said, this is Connor, this is happening. This is happening. He goes, wow, that sounds really frustrating. And I just burst out laughing because I just felt hurt and validated and it was just it, it, all my problems went, went away. It's like, it's like I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> so funny. So funny. So the moral, so the moral of the story here is, um, is really self-awareness of, of communication, right? Like when we are communicating with our spouses or just people in general that we're interacting with, validating their experience doesn't necessarily mean that we can't fix it. Right. Because I think as men were, you know, men were, were often looking for, and what you described in, in your story is that you were looking for a way to fix it, right? You're looking for a way to solve what's happening for your wife. And I think in that, in that case, the, the easiest and the fastest way to do those things is, is through validation first, right? The, the person's experience isn't going to go anywhere, right? And, and oftentimes we want to fix the circumstances rather than validate the experience. And when we can pause for a few moments and actually just validate their experience and hear the challenges that they must be facing, it's actually in that space where we can learn what it is that actually needs to be fixed. Otherwise, we're focused on the wrong thing, right? It's like trying to win a race by going the wrong direction. It's like <laughs> you're never going to reach the finish line. You can, you can run full speed in that direction all you want. Um, but it's probably not going to lead you to the finish line to win first place. And what was so interesting is like, I, I felt like I needed to keep saying, yeah, but Connor, this and this and this. And as soon as you said that it was, it was done. Like I just didn't need to say anything else. <laughs> so interesting. Um, all right, well, let's, let's circle back around to, um, let's circle back around to, to the childhood. So you have, you have the father who's in, um, drugs, alcohol, um, abusive, 
you have your mother who is working a ton. Tell us a little bit about what happened post your father leaving. What was that like for the family system? Uh, everything kind of fell apart there. I mean, it was, I mean, my, I, I can only imagine how hard it was for my mother to go through that. There was this big, you know, custody battle. Um, we stayed in, the, in an unfinished house for, for five years. I just me and my mom. Um, and we didn't have finances or anything to be able to finish it. And, and then I think that's when, that's when it really started to get an emotional dump on me. And I don't really remember too much of it, but I, I just remember being lonely and it started to stem from an inner child meditation. And when I started explaining that, I could be people like, you know, 10 years ago, you say, Oh, you have an inner child. I'd be like, shut, like, shut up. I don't, I don't have an inner child, you know? And, and when you start to like acknowledge these pieces within you and these parts that, that need to be brought to light. And it's so, it's so, it's so hokey. Like I almost, I would, I would punch the 25 year old self in the face, you know, and be like, there's no such thing as an inner child. That's bullshit. But it's like, we all have this inner child. And I did a meditation and the only thing that could come up was, was loneliness. And, you know, I, I, I was a lonely kid and by loneliness, like I had friends, like my, I, I brought this up with my mom. Cause I, I think it's very important to talk about these things today with how they affected you in the past to, to kind of heal through it. Um, and my mom would always say, Again, no validation. You're, you weren't lonely. You had tons of friends. You always had people around you. And it wasn't the sense that, that I was socially lonely. I was lonely in my soul. I didn't know how to be around people. I didn't know how to create connection because my whole family was so goddamn disconnected and shameful. There was no connection. So let's, let's flash forward to how, how this transitioned or how this actually showed up in your life as you went on, right? So you're, you get into like your teenage years, you're like 13 years old, you're starting to, you know, meet, meet girls. Um, you've grown up in a household where, you know, there's been abandonment and abuse and, and, and neglect and, and all these pieces have shown up. Um, how does that transpire in your teenage years? I get icky thinking about it, to be honest. Like I just, I look at like the, how I was and what I was doing to create connection. And, uh, uh, you know, like because I grew up in such a such a way where everybody was trying like abusing me and then trying to protect me from everybody else, it was it was carried throughout my my teenagers. And now now that was never physically abusive, but it was very manipulative. And when I was in relationships, I was very manipulative. I would I would put my shit onto my girlfriends, my significant others, and I would I'd be like you like because I all, I only heard that you made me do this. My father would tell my mother, you make me so mad. You made me hit you. My mom would say, well, you make this house not work. It's all you. And it was always placing blame on other people. So when I would approach relationships, I mean, by no means was I, was I good at it, but I mean, you know, I created a lot of shameful connection there and I would use manipulation for connection. So I would, I would do things like I would push them away and then, and then make up some weird messed up story to get them to come back to me. And I would use sex as a form of connection. And I, and I'm still exploring this quite a bit because it's pretty new, but that is the sexual charge of my shame and how I'm sexualizing my past into today is I basically used manipulation for connection and I used sex to feel connected because that's the, that's the old, there's so much energy around that. There's so much energy around um, you know, not knowing about like how close this person is to me and then manipulating them into sex and putting all my shit onto them to get them to buy into that. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's interesting, and just to give some context to this, I think you know, for everyone that's out there listening, you know, maybe your story isn't the exact same as this, but parts of it really resonate with you. And the whole point of this episode is to really tune into someone else's stories and and see how your story fits in with theirs and how this individual's healing and path uh, might be applicable for you. So we're, we're going to get into some more anecdotal um, prescriptive things towards the end of the podcast to sort of help you walk through some of these pieces, you know, and, um, uh, we're going to share some of the things that he's done to work through some of this childhood trauma to, to move through, um, some of the abandonment stuff, just, just so that you have tools in your repertoire. And I'm sure that we'll recommend some books and some activities and whatnot. Um, so I just want to give that as a caveat, but how, how did that show up with dating specifically around sex? Because one of the things that you mentioned before, and one of the things that we've worked through and worked on is that this projection that your, that your family had basically had, right? Projecting each other's anger onto each other, right? You, you made me hit you. You made me do this. You made me leave. You made me X, Y, and Z. How did, how did that show up within the realm of sex and intimacy as a teenager? Yeah, I wouldn't, that's, I would use that to, I would use the charge behind me telling, like, I would, I would not get what I wanted. And that's a big trigger for me when I can't get what I want because the person doesn't hear me or understand me. Um, so I would do whatever I could to get what I wanted and not being aware of that can be very, very dangerous. Yeah. Just to pause there. So I don't like, I don't like not getting what I want because. Um, I deserve to get what I want. Yeah. And I learned that from, or who I learned that from is. <laughs> my, I would say myself and doing a lot of work on myself because, <laughs> because the inner critic is, a, you know. Uh-huh. But who I learned that from growing up was. Uh, my mother mm-hmm. and my father. Mm-hmm. And when my father didn't get what he wanted, how he would react is. Oh, he'd lose his mind yeah. and create shame and create disconnection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how he would reconnect after that disconnection is manipulation. And well, I mean, just, just be coddling and protecting from that behavior from other people. Yeah. So he would, he would lose his mind and then he would be like, don't worry, I'll keep you safe from all these external things. Right. From your mother's anger and from your brother's anger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very authoritarian tactic, right? It's a, it's a way of saying I'm, I'm right all the time. I have to be right all the time. Right. This is like the, the tyrant king. I think I've talked about that before, but it's the tyrant king, right? I can never be, I can never be wrong. I have to be right all the time. And everyone else because of that is wrong most of the time. And, and don't worry, I'll protect you from them. <laughs> right. We see, we see a good amount of that going on in the world right now. Um, okay. And when, when my mother didn't get what she wanted, how she would react is lose her mind. Okay. And she would say things like, uh, she would, blame um she'd make it our fault Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and when i when i couldn't get sex in my relationships but how i would react is blame Mm. projected onto them it was their fault they were wearing the clothes that that would turn me on and then not give it to me Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah okay and and their response in that situation was usually negative yeah i mean it's never good uh-huh. 
there's no connection there. Yeah. It's not I, like, you know, I'm, I'm telling, I, I, my, my teenage self was telling that I wanted to feel connected, yeah. but I didn't know how to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you continued the pattern. You continued the pattern of trying to get your needs met through, through manipulation, through uh, sort of strong arming situations, right? How, how did that play out after high school? What were your relationships like? Uh, pretty unhealthy, still, still in manipulative relationships on my part. Um, I, I felt a lot of the time the, the women would say they were scared of me because I was overbearing and I was an authoritarian. And, and I took that with, with me wherever I went to my places of employment. Um, I would work for organizations that had authoritarians as leaders and it was very unhealthy, but that's just what I was taught and what I knew. And I brought that into my business today, even and I mean, through the work, I think that there's, there's been a tremendous amount of work around that, but I, I carried it with me for a very, very long time. I'm, I'm actually interested. I want to put like a little like caveat in here to get your perspective, because I think your perspective is quite unique in the sense that, you know, right now there is sort of like this war against the patriarchy, right? There's sort of like this commentary that, that um, men leading family systems are bad. Right. And, and, and usually people will point to stories like yours or, you know, people that men that have been abusive um, of their power or of their families or of the people around them. And I'm curious because what something that you just said was, you know, I attracted those authoritarian type leaders. And I'd be interested to get your perspective of, first off, at that time, why were they appealing? You know, besides the, besides the part that it was like this unconscious draw that you can now see, but at the time when you didn't know that unconscious draw was there, what was actually appealing about them? What, what was so engaging? It was safe. It was safe. How so? Like it was safe because why? Because they had complete control over the situations and it was their way or Norway. And it was just, it was my father all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. And and now that you're out of that space, um, how do you see those types of individuals, men or women, because women can be authoritarians as well, how do you see those types of people differently? Um, I have a lot of empathy and, you know, they, they, they must be hurting. Yeah. There must be a lot of stuff there that they need to work through. And I, it's not my duty to, to fix them, yeah. but it's to acknowledge it. And, and move on from it and realize, see the truth behind that. Yeah, that's good. I think. And meet it with empathy. Don't, yeah. don't fight it, accept it as it is. And, and, you know, if it's appropriate, call them forward. Yeah. But you can lead a horse to water. Let's talk a little bit about your, your journey healing that relationship with your father. As I think a lot of the listeners, a lot of the listeners out there might have strained relationships with one of their parents, right? Whether it's their father or their mother. And I think that the conditions that, you know, you grew up in were maybe more extreme than most people, right? Living in extreme poverty and, you know, alcohol abuse and drug abuse and uh, just abuse and abandonment and all those things. But I do think that you're the path that you've walked to reconciliation has been a powerful one. So um, thank you. At, at what point did you start to realize that you wanted to reconcile and heal this relationship with your father in any capacity? I just want to say that I've been, I've been on this like hell bent mission to kind of uncover all of my shadows in the past, maybe two months. 
And it was, it started off little by little. And then I just started to buy into all of these things do not serve me anymore. So there's been an overwhelming amount of work to get through. So it takes me a bit to kind of separate each big T, big trauma to get through, but just give, give me a second to reflect on that. Um, so it was uh, in a session that we were in and it had to do with my relationship to safety and how I feel safe. And I have a pretty unhealthy relationship with that. And, uh, and it kind of went back to how my father would make us feel safe and what he would bring into the house to be safe. And the acknowledgement, it was the first time, like this happened maybe two months ago or three months ago, but it was the very first time that I ever truly felt and acknowledged that my father was an incredibly, incredibly hurt person. And he didn't have anybody on his side. There was nobody there for him. And I, I don't know where my dad is today, but that acknowledgement for me was, was a very big step in the healing process to work through what I've been telling myself for the past 30 years. Yeah. And I, you know, I I remember that session where we were talking about uh, what it meant for you to be safe in general, but also in relationships. And I think I guided you through that exercise that kind of revealed some of those pieces. Tell me a little bit about having empathy for, because I think this is such a relevant question, right? I'm sure that there are people that are listening that, that were abused or abandoned uh, in some capacity, in some nature, in their, in their childhood, uh, or, or as adults, and they, and they haven't been able to, um, move through it. And part of, part of moving through it is by, by actually deploying empathy and, and seeing not, not just seeing the other person through the lens of, oh, they must've had a tough time, but actually experiencing empathy for what their life must have been like and how much suffering they must have been carrying with them. And I think in that session that you're referring to, that's, that's what actually happened is that there was a moment where it's almost like the light bulb went on in your experience where you're like, holy shit, my dad must have been carrying around so much pain. So what, A, what was that experience like? And B, um, how did you see the, the suffering that he must have been going through or must have gone through? Um, so I, I don't know if you want to get into the conversation of moving through trauma yet, or, or kind of bring it into it a little bit, but I, I think that, um, you know, through, through the meditative states that we go through in sessions, it's, it's extremely powerful and it allows you to really be in your body. And when you notice in any social interaction with people or, or whatever state you're in, but when you, when, when I felt this emotion, it was like an eruption coming from my gut. And I think that's where a lot of trauma is, is kind of contained and where a lot of people suppress it to. Um, but it feels like, like I've, I've spoken a lot of very hard things to speak about in the past two months and it always feels the same and it's always comes from the gut and it feels like I'm choking on what I want to say and what I need to say. And it gets caught in my throat. And that's your, that's your traumas trying to get out of your body and your, and your subconscious is, holding your throat, like, don't fucking say this, don't do it. And you've got to fight that urge and, and to acknowledge those emotions that are there is so powerful. Yeah. yeah and just to, just to put a, a little asterisk mark on, on that is that what you're describing, that physical experience that you're describing so in depth 
is is an important one because everybody has their the, the important part is that everyone has their own iteration of that right your experience of of bringing your trauma up and out and forward and talking about it in our sessions will maybe be similar to some other people's absolutely but this but it will my experience but it, but it will be it will be different so people might feel it in their in their face or in their head or in their shoulders or in their chest and the only reason why i why i jump in here to say that is that other people might experience different things where when they go to talk about um, challenging moments, traumatic moments, abusive moments, whatever that is, or just confronting moments in their life that are uncomfortable, they might feel it in different ways. So just context for the, for the listeners. Absolutely. I didn't mean to, I didn't no, mean to tell people good. how they should move through trauma. No, no, it's <laughs> good. It's good. You're describing your experience and, and that is that that's actually the most important part. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it starts in the stomach and then, and then it kind of gets out. And when it gets out, there's always this emotional, emotional outburst and holy shit, I've cried harder than I've ever cried in my life in this past three months. And it's, you know, feeling that emotion of, of my father, how hurt he must've been. And when you really, when your consciousness wraps around that idea, and I don't mean to get too deep or weird there, or like, you know, I hope you guys can understand this, but when the, when the consciousness wraps around that idea, the emotional explosion that comes out of you and the voice that your tears have and like the weeping is pretty transformational yeah. because it's, I think that, you know, energy is within us and that is a ton of energy being bottled up and that shit is driving you that you don't even know how until you bring that awareness around it. So, so what would you say came forward out of that? Like, did you, was it, was it sadness for him that came, that came up? Was it empathy? Like what, what actually came forward in that, in that moment? A new light on empathy Hmm. and seeing, being able to have a 360 degree perception on where everybody's coming from. And it may, it allows me to facilitate conversations better with people, how to see where they're coming from better. Hmm. Um, so it kind of carries through to the rest of my life of, you know, nobody's out there to, to screw anybody. Everybody has good intentions. Mm-hmm. And the challenge there is just seeing where their perspective is and acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so there, there's a few things that I think we should go through. One is how have you healed the relationship to your father? Not, not necessarily having him in your life. And, and what's that journey like been like so far? And then I have some follow-up questions, um, but let's, let's just start there. Um, so journaling was a, was a big portion of what I went through. I think that journaling is super important to get your, get your thoughts out on paper and make sense of what you've been thinking, getting the sense of what I've been thinking. And then through the journaling a lot, that's, that's where I've come to a lot of my conclusions about how I should proceed with the healing process and, and kind of working out, is this a good idea to bring this man back into my life? And uh, my, where I stand right now is, I don't think it is. There is, you know, I don't want to say he's, he's hurt beyond repair, but the amount of trauma that he has brought to everybody around me, myself, my parents, my, my grandparents, my brother, I mean, I, I, there's no boundaries. There's, I don't think it would be a healthy I mean, you know, me learning how to set my boundaries and learning how to go through these things, I don't think it would be a healthy relationship to invite that into my life. Yeah. And and maybe at some point that will, maybe at some point that will transpire, you know, and, and that they'll, they'll, they'll come a time where you will 
intuitively know, like your gut will intuitively know that it, that it's time to have that conversation. It'll be uncomfortable. It won't be easy, but, it, but it will be there. Right. And I think the, the, we, you know, one of the things that we, that we talked about was the, was the wanting to sort of like rush in and, and repair with them. Right. Because the interesting thing was, is that if we reflect back, you sort of made these breakthroughs of experiencing empathy for what your father must have been going through, which is a part of the forgiveness process, right? It's part of the healing process of having someone who abused you and who abandoned you. And, and part of that is part of the forgiveness is not only experiencing the anger towards them, experiencing the sadness that you have um, because of that experience, the, the the missing pieces that you wanted from them. And we explored all those pieces. And then it came into the space of understanding the empathy, um, understanding that, that, that he must have been really hurting too, in order to, to pass that hurt on to us, so many other people. And I think that that empathy sort of broke open this door, uh, this desire to like reach out and contact him. And um, and I think that you said within that, that's, that's my inner child yeah. wanting, and I, and I can totally, I, I journaled about this whole thing, yeah. but I can definitely, <laughs> definitely uh, acknowledge that that's, it, it was my inner child, like wanting to just like create connection with the father. Yeah. And it, but he, he's, I'm not saying, but he, but like, he's just in a, I, I don't know what state he's in. Yeah. And, and that scares me. Yeah. And, and there's uh you know, I think the, the interesting part about this is being able to, in a timely way, right. In a, in a healthy way, get to a point where if you desire to reach out to him, that you can do that and that you and feel, not let my inner child do yeah, the dialogue. That's right. That the man, that the man within you, you know, the man that you are is leading that narrative, that conversation rather than the inner child, rather than the younger boy being like, Oh my gosh, my dad must've been so hurt. And I understand that now because I didn't see it before, but I understand it now. And now I want to go running back to him to try and see if, if we can reconcile things. And that's a very natural desire, right? Most people that, that walk the path of forgiveness with someone that, that has harmed them, right? Whether, whether it was a, you know, a sudden divorce or somebody that was unfaithful, you know, in a relationship, whatever it is, when people walk the path of forgiveness, they inevitably find themselves at this, at this spot where they want to go back to that person and say, I understand, you know, I understand what you went through. And the, the only cautionary tale is when it's that charged, right? When it's as charged as it has been for you. And it's, and it's been this long that we also need to be conscious of ourselves and, and making sure that there are strong, healthy boundaries within ourselves. So that when we do embark on that journey, we're comfortable and confident that no matter what the other person throws at us, because you could walk into his house and he could be malicious and, you know, still be an alcoholic. You know, the, the, the last, last thing I heard is he burned his head, his own house down. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there, so there you go. There's, there's a, there's a red flag. Um, but, but anyway, um, so, so one of the tools was journaling. One of the other things that we've talked about is sort of developing this, this ability to father yourself, right? This ability to lead yourself, guide yourself, be a self-aware man. Um, what are some of the proponents that have served you over the last couple of years of your development in learning how to be more self-aware, be more self-led? And, and can you share some of those practices with the listeners of how you actually have reconciled some of these pieces? Yeah. Uh, feedback from anybody around you, wife, brother, mother, 
uh, and, and looking into one's own reactivity to anything. That's something that is, I've been working on pretty hard, but when you, when you get emotional about things, what, what are they trying to tell you? What are you avoiding? What are you not saying? I would definitely, definitely encourage moving into those spaces and facing them. It's uncomfortable. I don't know who said it, but the truth will piss you off, but then it will set you free. Yeah. It's a good quote. Um, yeah, so, so just moving into the uncomfortable, no matter how uncomfortable it is, you yeah. just do it. And, and asking the people in your community, how can I be better? Yeah. And owning your own shit. When you, when you feel bad about something and you feel like you've hurt somebody, have an open dialogue about it. Hmm. How have your, so as you've embarked on this journey of healing some of the past traumas and just becoming a better man, a better father, a better husband, um, how have the relationships with some of the men in your life shifted? Definitely a new tribe. The men that I surround myself with are all on the same path. We all have each other's back. We are all very empathetic with each other. We all want to grow. We all want to expand our consciousness the, the the love that is around is more than I've ever had before. My boundaries are strong and, and, and they're respected. Nobody's trying to overstep my boundaries. And, yeah. and it's, it's from surrounding myself with very like-minded people and breaking free of my past beliefs and identity. Mm. Now that you've gone through some of this work, how do you see yourself different as a father? Then, then maybe what your 20 year old or 25 year old self thought that you would be like as a dad. 25. Like, so when my kid was one, <laughs> that was two years ago. I, I had a whole bunch of stuff going on trying to do so many things. And I, I was, I didn't have any interest in being a father one, cause I didn't know how. And two, because I had to provide, I had to give my family everything. And I don't know who said it or where it came from, but the thing that's really resonating with me is your kid doesn't give a shit how much money you make. He doesn't care about what he has. He just wants time with his family. He wants time with his dad. And I, I would me and my wife do, do therapy sessions together at some points and, and not, I encourage this. We don't have like, we don't have, we have issues. Of course we do, but not many issues. And we do it for upkeep. And, you know, it's always good to have a facilitator bring up the reactivity in each other and kind of poke and prod around there to find out what is going on. And I think that that is definitely a key to a happy and open communication relationship. But I said in one session a very long time ago, when we first started this and there was just, I was run by shadows. Uh, I said, I only want to spend 15 minutes a day with my kid because I wanted to work and provide. And my wife, it, it's to this day, my wife still talks about it. And I think that's something we need to heal through together. But seeing the ignorance behind that statement and how much I didn't mean that. And the stories that, that I was telling myself to go down that direction were coming from a very bad place. My priorities were wrong. Um, and not to say they're wrong. They were just, they were, they were, they would have created more disconnection and more, more solitude. So where, where does a statement like that come from? Like when you say something like, I only want to spend 15 minutes with my kid per day, knowing that that, that may not have been true. I have to be successful. I have to provide. Yeah. I have to be perceived as this. Like I, I was looking for external validation. I need, I need, you know, I do have a bit of a public profile and, and, and that to me is very, was very validating. And that's what I lived for. I pushed for that. And it's like, it's the only way I was worthy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good um, direction to sort of just take this in for a second, because I think the interesting thing about your story is that you have built when without going into any details about your company or your work, just to, just to honor the privacy, but you have built a very successful brand and a very successful company and you've done very well for yourself in a, in a freaking tough industry. And so maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what actually drove you. I, I'd actually be, I'd actually be interested in, in you explaining a little bit of your arc, because here's, here's the thing that I think most people miss out on. Most people are looking for the type of drive and determination where they are relentlessly pursuing, relentlessly pursuing a goal, right? A certain outcome. And, and sometimes it's not done in, in the, in in ways that are like conducive for us to enjoy that journey, enjoy that pursuit. So if you can maybe just share a little bit about your arc, I think that would be powerful. Um, from the awareness that I have today or from moving through the pieces and then being like, Oh my God, I built this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe start, start back. Like when you first started the journey at the level of awareness that you were at, and what was driving you up until, you know, up until now where you've, where your awareness has shifted. So I'd definitely say I was operating out of fear. Uh, I didn't, I didn't even know that operating out of faith was a thing. I was in a, like, I was very scarce, very scarce mindset my whole life. And I still struggle with it today. Being led by authoritarians, constantly working validation by working harder, put in longer hours, you do better, put in longer hours, you work harder, you're more accepted. People like you more within that industry as well. So it was a very fear-based drive. And I just had a very interesting conversation recently about how your, your past traumas drive you today. And most businesses are built out of past traumas. Um, so I, I definitely built this brand on, on a very interesting foundation. Say. What, what do you think that you were at that time? What do you think you were trying to prove? That I was worthy of love. Mm. That I was worthy of being accepted. That I mean, I had a hard growing up because I wasn't very socially adept. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know how to be. I didn't know how to be with people. Um, I loved people, and I still do. But I just didn't know. I didn't know how to be socially appropriate because my mom was not necessarily the most socially appropriate person. <laughs> Jesus, even today, I well, shut up, mom. Don't talk about that right now. Yeah. Um, but but the carrying that, it's like it's like <laughs> I just wanted to be loved and connected. It's like shit. If I needed to work fifteen hours to be loved and connected, that's what I'm going to do. If I need to work way harder than anybody else and put my whole identity into just getting slayed with too much to do because people accept me and they like me like that, that's what I'm going to do. And I didn't have a firm understanding and I didn't have the confidence to be, I am a lovable person the way I am. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting perspective, right? Because on, on one hand, on one hand here, you have sort of trauma and tragedy and, and really hardship, right? Like just a, a hard, tough growing up. And out of that was birthed this very successful um, individual, right? Like it, what it made you into was someone who was capable of relentlessly pursuing something. And I think when, when we met and we started to actually work together and you, you know, joined one of the groups and, and then, you know, you and I started doing some one-on-one -on -one work together I think the interesting thing was is that when you came in there, there seemed to be some questions, right? Like it seemed, it seemed like you had reached this point. I think this is relatable for a lot of people where it seemed as though you had reached this place in, in your success 
where you had become very successful. And then all of a sudden, this question of like, now what started to pop up, right? Now what? Is this it? Like when I first met you, it seemed to be like some of those questions were, were coming up. So maybe can you share some light into what questions were coming up when you sort of reached this, not pinnacle of success, but when you, when you did reach this plateau of success, what questions started to come up? I am not happy. That was the big one at the forefront. I am overworked. I don't feel connected to people. Uh, mind you, there was zero awareness around the connection to people, but it, that's what I craved. That's what I needed. There was no community. I didn't have a tribe. My tribe was everybody I worked with, and that was it. And it, unfortunately, in, in the industry that I'm in, it's not the best tribe to be surrounded by at times. And then it just means there's a lot of a lot of hurting people in it. And, and one of my things that I'm kind of working towards is I want to be there more for my industry and help people through their stuff within my industry because it is a, it is a hard industry to be in. Um, and there is a lot of pain there that, that people can can work through, I think, with the right tools. So um, I don't know. What was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> it was more, it was, it, was, it was about what the questions were that you okay, had. Yeah. So the questions that I had were, uh, the big one was, I'm not happy. How do I, how do I get what I want? And then through, I think that, that very first weekend just blew the doors off. I mean, I came back and my wife was, you are a new person. What happened to you? My priorities got completely shuffled around and it was just a bit of purpose work and values work. And what are you really doing here? And it's not like I had any intention, but the big, the big catalyst was, I have all this shit. I don't like where I am. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think that's a, that's a, that's an apt way to describe it. So in terms of how your, your journey has been since, since then, um, finding, you know, different parts of purpose, um, starting to change your priorities around what has shifted for you as a father, as a business owner, um, and, and as a husband. I, a ton. I, I feel very, I'm a very confident man now. I think that I can navigate the most difficult conversations with anybody. Can you just define um, what, what your version of confidence is now? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. My version of confidence is being able to be comfortable with myself, saying what I need, setting my boundaries with people, with friends, with non-friends, calling people forward when it's inappropriate. Like that Gillette commercial. Yeah, it's a good one, man. <laughs> that Gillette commercial. Uh, I, I posted it. a little video on on the in the Facebook community today, just ranting about it because I think it's hilarious how much how much drama that one razor commercial has come up with. It's bro. I mean, if nothing else, it's brilliant marketing. Like they're they're smart in the in the in the but sense. It's such that, a good message at the same. Like for, <laughs> I'm on I'm on one side of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am like that because there's that the other there's. Talking there's the other side of the fence where people are like, this is garbage and it's destroying masculinity. And it's like, okay, like, you know, I can see how people could perceive that. But anyway, that's not, that's not the point. Yeah. Um, so your version of confidence is? Boundaries, being able to confidently speak my truth, telling people what I need with without second guessing myself. Yeah, that sounds good. And in terms of, in terms of how things have shifted for you uh, as a father, let's, let's go there. I, I shared this win earlier in the, in the conversation, but I mean, my kid can state when he's angry and when he's sad and when his heart hurts and when he feels heavy and and, and for me, 
I mean, I, I get, I, my son makes me so emotional. I mean, that, that it just it blows me away that he can acknowledge himself and be aware of himself at, at two years old. That it's, it's so cool to see. Yeah. Uh, so I think that my connection with him is stronger than it's ever been. I mean, he hugs me really hard. He loves me. And, and I got a compliment from a friend the other day, which meant so much to me and my family was, he said, I just want to acknowledge your son has very healthy attachment issues to you and your wife because my wife can go and he says, bye, bye. And like, he just hangs out with me and I leave and he says, bye, bye, bye. And he just hangs out with my wife. There's no, there's no big shift in, in, Oh my God, mom, don't go. I need you, mom. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that I never even thought about that until last week. And it just, just one of my friends acknowledged that. And I was taken aback by that. Yeah. That's, that's incredible, man. That's incredible. I mean, it shows, it shows the work that you've both done to co-parent and like really raise your child in a way. A lot of that is my wife <laughs> just in that field. So, I mean, I'm not, I, I say that too much, so I should take more ownership of it. Yes. I that's do. right. There you go. There you go. You caught, you caught yourself. She is brilliant and she, and she can have all the credit in the world, but you definitely deserve a lot of it. Um, all right. What about your, what about your role as a husband? How has that shifted over the last little while? Because I know that and actually, maybe we should go in this direction of of just talking about how prominent and how front and center before we talk about this part, how front and center um, sex was for you in in the past, and and how that actually showed up for you in relationships. Well, I, six months ago, I started looking into my relationship to sex because I knew it was unhealthy. Because when I wouldn't get it, I would get emotional, I'd get reactive. And I think that a lot of guys get like that, you know, they, they pull little baby moves and they start to pout before they even ask for it properly or yeah. pro I quote air quote properly. But like <laughs> when you, when you have a need and you want fulfilled, there's ways to go about it, but getting pouty around your wife, cause you want to have sex with her and she's not giving in is not the way to get laid. You know, Nothing, nothing's, nothing's more attractive to women than a full grown man uh, whining <laughs> about not getting sex. It's yeah. nothing, nothing turns her on more than that. Right. Like it's just, <laughs> I guess like the pinnacle of turned onness. Yeah. So, so, and, <laughs> and, and, and I should also say that we've all been there. I think, I think that like every guy at some point has probably been there. Yeah. And it, it also came up around the conversation of porno and how much porn do you watch? And you know, what you're what, like, why are you watching it? Why are you using it? Is it to avoid your avoidance behavior? And I think that a lot of the time it is. Um, that being said, I think, well, that's a whole other conversation. But so it was kind of like, why was I using porn? And that kind of stemmed from there. And it's like, wait a minute, if I'm using porn because of these things, why do I want sex? Like, what am I trying to, what's that telling can you? Can you just talk a little bit about why you were using porn? Like when you started to dig into it, what, what was the avoidance of? Emotions. When I always used it when I felt completely overwhelmed, when there was too much going on and I couldn't handle it. And well, I could handle it, but it's just so much. And there's this charge of like, oh, I have like 30,000 things to do right now. Just, ah. and that was, that was it. <laughs> um, so that's why basically that was my biggest use. Um, it was also used to, uh, covertly get back at my wife in some weird way of like, well, if you're not going to get, if you're not going to have sex with me, then I'm just going to jerk off. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, it was, it was all unhealthy, all unhealthy behaviors. And, and then I started to really question, what does it even mean to be horny? What, like, how does my body feel when I'm actually feeling sexually driven? Um, so through that, created a whole journey of, of what it went through, but, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not sure how I came to this conclusion right now, but when I want sex, 
it's because I want to feel connected. And it's my inner child screaming for connection. And when I don't, when I didn't get it or I got turned down, my inner child would take the driver's seat and throw a hissy fit and then start to shame my wife or shame whoever I was with in prior relationships. Like, well, why did you wear these clothes? Why did you, why did you come into the room? You know, why did you touch my, my D and then not do anything about it? You know? And she is flirtatious activity, which kind of leads up to the whole thing. But, but you know, that, that goddamn inner child well, can take the driver's seat so easily. So um, that, that, that's kind of how I navigated that. Yeah. I mean, it's, what's interesting is that, you know, there's, there's different parts of masculine sexuality, right? Like I think on the show I've talked about, and, and probably in our sessions, we've talked about, um, you know, the, the spiritual masculine and the primal masculine. And the, the challenge is, is that if, if one is dysfunctional, right? Cause like the, the inner child sort of resides in the realm of the spiritual masculine. And if the inner child is hidden and it's wounded and it's, you know, been abused or abandoned and it doesn't really have a voice, that's where the shadow shows up. Right. And, and that's where we'll start to manipulate for sex and lie or go outside of the relationship or watch copious amounts of porn or, you know, um, to get into fights to try and, and have makeup sex. Like there's all sorts of different coping mechanisms that men will use to try and get sex when, when they haven't, um, necessarily been taught or, or tried even to, to engage in sex from the real reasons why they want it, right? Sometimes there's a, there's a confusion sometimes where men will physically just crave sex, right? We'll just, we'll look at our partner and we'll be like, fuck, like she just looks good or he looks good, but she just looks amazing. And I actually just want to ravish her. Right. And that's okay. That's the primal side. Um, but it's very hard to have that part be clean when it's being driven by wounding, right? When it's being driven by, I need to have this sex in order to validate my worth in this relationship. And that's where a lot of men actually come from, right? They're coming from the space of, because this isn't you, I'm just using your, your story as an example, but a lot of men will come from this space of, I need to have sex. And if I'm not having sex with my partner, it means that there's either something wrong with me, something wrong with her or something wrong with the relationship. And it can just be that, you know, maybe the partner's not in the mood or they are completely bagged or they're getting sick or like whatever it is. Um, or we just haven't gone about it in the right way, right? Like there is, again, as we were sort of poking fun at before, almost nothing less attractive than a needy man to a woman. Like it's just unattractive to them. Right. But we find ourselves in these spaces all the time. And so I think the interesting thing about what you're talking about is, is you're really sharing your journey of coming back into an integrated, healed space where you can feel that primal part of you that just looks at your wife and craves her. And it's just like, damn, like she's hot and I love having sex with her and I crave her and I can feel that in my body. You know, I can like really feel it. And then there's the also, there's the other part, which is the spiritual masculine, which is like, oh, I look at my wife and I crave that connection, you know, and I want to be close to her. And so it's the, com the combination of those two things. Yeah. And, and, and a really big win for myself was having that open dialogue with my wife and being, and telling her when you turn me down, this is what happens to me. And the only thing I need you to do is make me feel safe in that space and tell me you love me right now is not the time, but you'd like to do that at a later date and kiss me on the cheek and give me a big hug. And like, she, that's happened since then. And it's, it puts me at ease. 
I'm like, okay, we're good. Yeah. Cause you're I'm just, good. you're just speaking the truth, right? Like you're just, you're actually just saying the truth to her. And the, I think the nice thing in that is, is that for her, I would imagine it gives her, it still gives her the sense of like, oh, I'm wanted. And he wants to be intimate with me and he feels connected to me. There's emotional intimacy, but there's also a deep amount of sexual connection, right? It's and still that's, extremely hard to, to speak what you need when you need it, right? It's yeah. still hard to say, hey, babe, I want to lay you down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's... <laughs> please. Oh my gosh. Uh, I can just imagine you saying that to her and her reaction. Look, we, we have actually been in this conversation for a while. And I, I wanted to, so I, I put up in, a, in the post um, in the Man Talks community, I kind of shared with people what we were going to talk about in this episode. And, um, you know, we, we haven't, we've covered a lot of topics. We haven't necessarily dove super deep into, into any specific one. You know, we've talked about trauma. We've talked about relationships, becoming a father, working through some of these pieces. I think what would be helpful is I'm just going to read off some of the questions that the guys uh, have had because there's some really good ones in there that I think will will provide some enlight you know enlightening response. So um, one of the guys said, uh, "What have been your key strategies that you've used to work past traumas, and and how do you find balance um, with your parenting with this with healing yourself and parenting?" It's actually, it's quite an interesting question. Absolutely, uh, having a very strong coach at your side is a strategy. And that was probably the most shifting, shifting one for me. Having someone to, to help me work through my stuff, kind of call me on my shit, poke at what's there, get, get me to realize the, the reactivity that I had within certain emotions. And, and I don't mean that maliciously. I just mean it, them, them searching for what's there. Yeah. And that has been probably the most prevalent thing that's, that's helped with that. Um, and then what was the second part of that question? Uh, how have you balanced your healing with parenting? Uh, by noticing the reactivity in me and where it's coming up. And when I parent my my son, like why, like when I do get reactive with him and I do feel emotional around him, what what am I doing there? Like start looking into that. What am I not saying? Where where's my inner child coming out in that in that interaction with him? And then doing a bit of work, either journaling, meditations, silence, and and kind of letting those answers come. Nice. Um, Peter had a great question. He said, I'm curious as to how this guy has expressed his masculinity. Uh, has he managed to avoid the quote unquote man up culture or has he used it to place himself where he is today? I definitely used it to place myself where I'm at today because I definitely was in the man up until I was, like I said, many times, 30 years old and uh, looking how that wasn't serving me anymore. And that was kind of a trajectory to where I'm at today. Yeah, good. Uh, who do you turn to for business advice, father advice, and what were the key beliefs that your father, that he made his own, ah, that you integrated from your dad? Uh, so I, I don't know if this is going to be a shameless man talks plug or not, <laughs> but uh, definitely the performance mastermind is my my personal board of directors of where I go for all the advice, because it's such a diverse group of incredible men that, I mean, they're my best friends. I call them every week. We meet up every week just to shoot the shit. We were so vulnerable with each other. We bring challenges to each other. We help each other through everything and through business, through family, through connection, through sex. It's insane. The, 
the amount of connection I have with these guys. And, and yeah, I can't say enough good things about that community. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then the, the second part to that, I think I talked about it before it was the, uh, the authority and, and how I would, what, what I was taught about authority and how it did not, it didn't really serve a good purpose in my life and my relationship to authority where there's a whole other piece there, but it's a whole other conversation. Jesus, <laughs> how to manage people and how to tell people what to do. And anyway, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of combos in here. Um, there's another good question here. Um, do you, have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? Oh my God. Like beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, one thing I do want to dive into with you on a personal level is perfectionism and what that kind of looks like and means. Cause I think that growing my business, I, I put all of my validation in external validation mm. and I, I would, I want to talk about it. I, I won an award at some point and it absolutely destroyed me. Like I couldn't even accept this award because I just didn't have any self love. And I was, I was so messed up by, Oh my God, I can't believe I just got voted that. Like, I don't, I don't believe in that. I'm not that. And yeah, imposter syndrome is alive and well in me and it still is. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you identify that imposter syndrome? Like, where do you feel it usually come up? Be the, the emotional response to being recognized for, for certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's when it comes up. What's the, what's the fear when that does happen? What's the fear or what does fear say? I'm not. I'm not worthy. Mm. Terrible under critic. Mm -hmm. And what I'm concerned other people will find out about me is I'm an imposter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not as good as, as I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In business, I felt fake when. So when I, when I was putting on the, the man up face and, and, mm -hmm. and running people way too hard and being the authoritarian and being a perfectionist with everything. Good. So there's some, there's some good awareness there. There's another great question here. We didn't, you know, one of the things that we were going to talk about um, was the Morgan asked the question, uh, how did you find social space to discuss your sexual abuse initially? Uh, how has that expanded? Has it entered the realm of your close friendships? Was it ever a point where it became unhelpful to revisit? So I think the last part of that question is is probably no, because that's a, it's a recent thing. And, and we didn't, we didn't dive too much into it. We didn't really touch it in, on the podcast so far. So is it something that you want to give a little bit of context to? Absolutely. And thank you, Morgan. That's uh, you know, I read that before I even came here and I get, I got pretty emotionally charged over it. So it's probably something I, that I do want to dive into soon, but uh, the social space for it was through Men Talks and it was through the Facebook group. Uh, some conversations were going on in the background. You'd never expect these conversations to segue into that. But the way the, this group, the Man Talks group on Facebook facilitated a conversation, it just turned into this shadow that I've been meaning to bring up a lot. Like I've been had the intentions of doing it for a couple months and the right opportunities presented itself. And I just had to go into it because it needed to come out and it was fucking hard. Yeah. 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 And then we, you know, we dug into it in, in a session um, in our, I think in our last session. So it's, it's fairly fresh. And, and on that, on that, you know, fresh note of, of bringing that forward, I'm not too sure how much you actually want to share about that. Um, other than the fact that there was, 
sexual abuse as a child. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, like, I think like I don't feel super comfortable going into now because there's a lot of conversations to have and, and nobody's really aware of anything yet. Yeah. And, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's 2.0 for, yeah. for later on in 2019 <laughs> for, for you to come back and we can, you know, we can actually unpack that and, and talk about the healing process that, that you're going through now and, and what that looks like in, you know, six to 12 months from now. So I think that that's, that's a, a pretty powerful follow-up. Yeah. Um, cause I think that there, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have, have experienced that and want to know how they work through it. Um, in terms of how you feel like you have healed the relationship with your father, I think we've touched on that quite a bit. And, um, I'm curious how you have gone about healing the relationship with your mother. Through the awareness that has been brought around all these subjects around my relationship to sex, around my relationship to anger. Anger was a big one that I really wish we touch on actually, because I've, I've been a very angry person. I've always disowned my anger mm. and now it's very much alive in me and I can recognize it. And I know when it comes up and I know how to express it in a healthy way without becoming aggression or creating shame within someone or within myself, but having these, these open communications with my mother and telling her, you, know, you generally start the conversation with, Mom, you know, I love you. And you, I know you were trying so hard and we had a really hard upbringing. Um, you did the best that you could. You were such a loving mother. Uh, but there's, there's some pain there for me that I, that I want to bring out. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to share that with you. And obviously I get her permission to, because my mom, she's a little bit familiar with this kind of work. And, uh, and she's, she'll say yes, of course. And then I kind of tell her my experience about growing up in the circumstances that I did and the effect that it had on me today. And, you know, like I've had two pretty hard conversations with my mom around that and she's actually validated me. And that's the first time I've actually acknowledged it right now is she, she did validate me and say, yeah, that was really hard Trevor. And I can see how my behavior shaped you into who you are today. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 must have been a very um, confronting conversation to have. I think one of the things that might be good for the listeners to understand is how you've actually gone about having these conversations. Because through us working together, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've asked you to have some pretty <laughs> uncomfortable conversations uh, over the last little while, and um, and I and I laugh because you have you have really taken it on. You know, you've you've sort of been like, yep. I'm going to go do this. You know, I've got this and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to take, take charge in this area and, and lead the charge. So how did you like mentally, emotionally, physically prep yourself to have these uncomfortable, tough conversations about your childhood with someone like your mother? Because I think so many people listening to this, to this episode, I would imagine have a conversation that they know they know they need to have with their spouse, with their father or their mother or one of their siblings or somebody at work, but they know that there's a conversation that they just haven't been having. So how did you actually go about prepping for that? Uh, many ways. There's a couple of different strategies that I've used, but one is through coach work. I've worked with other coaches and leadership coaches as well, and they they help me facilitate the, the framework. But I mean, I love the analogy used without giving my, my full identity away. Um, it takes, it takes time. Like it's nothing when you have a difficult conversation, do not expect to just jump into this difficult conversation and dive in. Cause it's going to go poorly. I mean, in any, in any profession that anybody is, is in out there, when you have a big project to do, 
how do you structure that project? How, how many days or how many weeks is that project going to go on for? So you have to look at the, the scale of the conversation and look at how, how long it's going to take you to prep for this conversation. It definitely takes a couple of days at the least. How are you going to say it? How do you have this conversation without creating judgment or, or shame or anger or triggers? Like, how do you bring it into that space? And I personally love a good old shit sandwich. You start off with all the positives, you know, you acknowledge the person for the beautiful person they are, the, the, the hardships that you shared together. And then once you get their permission to enter a space and their guard is down because you've created the space where I'm not against you, I'm with you through this and get them to drop their guard into what you're about to get into and say, but there's something there that I really want to share with you that I, I hope that you're going to find some value or you can, you can meet my story with some empathy and, and kind of set the intention of what you want to get out of it. Don't just enter it because if you just enter a difficult conversation, it's very likely that there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. You did this to me. You did that to me. I can't play. And that's not your intention about entering it, but most intentions are to create connection with someone. So once you set your intention of how, of what you would like out of it, and they know that your intention is not to blame them for anything, you enter that conversation of this was my experience because everybody's entitled to their own experience in any interaction. This is how I experienced this. When you said something, this is how it made me feel. And I know that was not your intention to make me feel this way, but that's what it did to me. And if, as long as that can be met with empathy, there's a really strong chance that that can be healed into connection. Hmm. Yep. That's good. It's really good. Okay. And Yep. Strategy number two, yep. journal and write out and, and get somebody you trust. If you don't have a coach role play the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that, um, that I was going to recommend just being able to write out what you want to say and have a, have a second party actually look at what you've, what you've written. Somebody that you trust, somebody that's good at having those types of uncomfortable conversations, somebody that has had a lot of them or, you know, navigated a lot of them just to get that second perspective so that it's not accusatory, right. Or, or going to inflame the situation even more because sometimes talking about these things can be very challenging from the space of not knowing how to have the conversation and, and sparking a wildfire rather than, uh, you know, a connection. (laughs) It's very easy. There's like a very thin line between the two, right? So that's great. Um, one of the last questions, and I think we're, probably going to have to start wrapping it up here. But one of the last questions, uh, this is from John in the man talks community. He says neglect and how, how you've dealt with it. So how has neglect shown up in this whole journey for you? And, and now how do you deal with it when you do feel neglected, rejected or, or unseen? Uh, I've been neglecting my emotions and my needs my whole life and how it shows up today I can definitely say I'm the happiest I've ever been. I have the strongest foundation I've ever had. And the only way I got there was by acknowledging the neglect. So whenever I do feel neglect, emotions come up, or I do feel reactivity come up, I don't suppress it with alcohol. I don't suppress it with drugs. I, I get on the horn with my boys and I start to be like, all right, this is what's coming up. I need to jump in a session with you, Connor. This is what's coming up. I, I know I'm emotional about this and it's running me. I don't like that. So it's just, 
It's just about being hyper aware of what my body's telling me and what it's set telling me to do. Yeah, I like that. I think one of the things that that I would just I would add in is is the, you know, we've talked a lot on the on the show and and maybe in our sessions before about the inner man and the outer man, you know. And oftentimes when we start to see ourselves externally feeling neglected, right, in our relationship with our partner from our kids or our family or whatever it is, there's usually an inner story that matches that, right? There's usually our inner man has been neglecting himself in some capacity, whether it's through self-care and, uh, and you know, working out or uh, journaling or meditating or doing the things that we know we need to do to support ourselves. We've been ne- ne- neglecting those things or just the conversations that we've been having with ourselves. And so oftentimes what I tell men is, look, if you feel neglected in your relationship, it's probably because you've neglected yourself in some capacity. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that there are unhealthy relationships where your partners are just completely, uh, you know, sandbagging you. Um, But uh, but yeah, most of the time it's, it's an opportunity, as you're saying, to look at the inner man and look at how that inner man might be neglecting himself or his emotions or his, you know, wants and desires. So that's great. Um, if you were to go back to your six-year-old version and have a conversation with him today and sit down in the living room on the, you know, the bare, uh, you know, wood floor with, with no carpets in that space with no one else you, around. You really got to bring me there. Right? Yeah. I got to bring you there. I got to bring, I got to bring you there. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and no, no one else's home. It's just you and him just, just sitting there. Um, what would you say? How would you even start that conversation with him? Yeah, there's a lot of emotion there, Connor. I, it, I always get messed up with that whole, like I still, I, I, I acknowledge my inner child every morning in my meditations. And, uh, I don't, whenever I talk about it out loud, there's always this emotional charge about it. And I, I, I can think about it now. I can move through it, but can you, can you maybe just share why there's, why it's important to you? Like why you actually acknowledge your inner child every day? Cause I think for some guys, they might be like, well, that, I don't have a context for that. Or that sounds a little like, uh, out there. So like, what does that, what does that actually mean? Asking what he needs Mm. and by he needs to start with, what do you need? Just ask, just, just meditate on what do you need? Don't think about what your inner child is. Just what do you need? And, and when you get to that space of, of you can actually picture your inner child and you can actually see him, then you can start asking what he needs. But for the, for a good, just entrance point is what do you need today? And uh, there's been some great, great strategies around that of projecting your child onto an object, hugging a pillow, projecting your child onto the pillow and asking him what he needs and how to get through his day because uh, they they will, that inner child can and will run you if you let him. Yep. Yep. So if you were sitting in the room, how would you start that conversation? (sighs) Because I think the interesting thing is, is that a lot of the guys that I've, that I work with, one of the first things that I like to ask is when, when was the last time you had a conversation with your, with your younger self, you know, with the boy who was free or the boy who was abused or the boy who was just, you know, whatever. And the answer is almost always, I don't know. Right. Or like, or never. I, 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 I'm taking a deep breath because I'm like, cause it's, it's like, it's, it's hard, you know, it's, uh. But just tell him that he's not alone. He does have somebody there for him. And there's another way. 
And there's a, there's a way to be connected to people. And there's a way to love people and people will love you. Hmm. Yeah. And we're going to be good. Yeah. 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 I like that last part, right? It's like, I got you, yeah. you know, I got you and, and we're going to be good. And, you know, we're in this together. So listen, man, this has been phenomenal and uh, just a really, really great conversation. So thank you so much for just being open and honest about your journey and your system and uh, the environment that you grew up in, the challenges. I'm sure that so many people listening to this episode have heard and felt themselves in your story, you know, in, in your life, in the challenges that you've been through. And while their circumstances might not be the same, I am certain that many of their experiences resonate with yours. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the space to allow me to. Yeah. So for everyone that's out there listening, um, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with, with someone else, um, you know, send it off to, to someone that you think would benefit from listening to this, um, or would, would engage in this. And, uh, if you want to hear more of these types of conversations, uh, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. Let me know that you actually enjoyed this, this episode and that you want to hear more of these types of conversations and, uh, and, and what you actually took away from this conversation. So don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, or iTunes. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.